What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, an arranged marriage. Credit Suisse no more. Rival Swiss bank UBS taking over and taking on the credit problems. To not see that it could be coming was, was unbelievable. A storied bank gone. We can write the obituary. The value of the deal is dropping as the shares are trading this morning. The global system's liquidity problem. How the Fed is planning to help. We get some help from our economics reporter, Steve Leisman. So what's a swap line you can be forgiven for not knowing? How we got here, new calls for banking regulation. Senator Bill Cassidy joins us. He's on the Finance Committee. Can you allow a bank to mismanage its own assets so terribly and there be no consequence? And we love NYC. The new campaign Mayor Eric Adams launches today. The decrease in the major crimes, the decrease in our shootings, our homicides, we're trending in the right direction and the city's coming back. It's Monday, March 20th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And everyone's watching this morning, trying to see what the U.S. equity futures are going to be reacting to all of this. Right now, you'll see that the Dow futures are off by the... So what do you do this weekend? Any major bank collapses? Just one week after the failure of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and the race to shore up the funds of depositors here in the U.S., a shotgun wedding for two giant names in global banking where global banking was practically invented. Switzerland's UBS has agreed to buy rival Credit Suisse for $3.2 billion. This is the first major marriage of systemically important too big to fail banks since the great financial crisis of 2008. The Swiss National Bank pledged a loan of up to $108 billion to support the takeover. Credit Suisse was teetering on the edge of collapse after massive outflows, billions of dollars a day being pulled out of the bank. Just last week, Credit Suisse chairman Axel Lehman brushed off concerns in a panel with CNBC's Hadley Gamble. For you specifically at Credit Suisse, would you rule out some kind of government assistance in the future? That's not that's not a topic. Look, we are we are regulated. We have a strong capital uh, ratios, very strong uh, balance sheet. Uh, uh, we are uh, all hands on deck. So that's not a topic whatsoever. Five days later, he's gobbled up by his rival. And here's where we'll dive into some numbers you'll probably keep hearing about. Under the deal, Credit Suisse shareholders will receive one UBS share for every 22.48 Credit Suisse shares they hold. One to 22 and a half. UBS chairman Colm Kelleher got a screaming bargain for his shareholders, and he called the whole thing an emergency rescue. Having been chief financial officer during the last global financial crisis, I'm well aware of the importance of a solid balance sheet, especially in challenging times like these, and UBS will remain rock solid. This transaction confirms and augments 
our strategy of growing our capital light businesses. Let me be very specific on this. UBS intends to downsize Credit Suisse's investment banking business and align it with our conservative risk culture. The deal will trigger a complete write-down of the bank's additional Tier 1 bonds in order to increase core capital. That includes $17.3 billion worth of risky notes. These bonds have a funny name, cocoa bonds, an invention of the financial crisis, contingent convertibles are investment instruments that are sort of shapeshifters. A cross between a bond and a stock, COCOs, were designed to help banks have enough capital to prevent failure. They can convert from bonds into equity, shore up a bank's capital if it falls below a specified level. Now, this is supposed to cushion a bank's potential failure from being part of a bill to taxpayers. Under this deal in Switzerland, however, Credit Suisse's COCOs, or AT1, were written down to zero. Bondholders got nothing, and Credit Suisse shareholders, well, at least they get about 81 cents a share in the merger. A complicated arrangement, done very quickly. What could possibly go wrong? Let's get back to Joe, Becky, and Andrew on this Monday's weekend hangover. Here's Andrew with more. Potentially tens of thousands of people uh, could lose their job. Big questions about what happens to the investment bank at Credit Suisse, of course, a storied uh, investment bank for so long because it used to be, yes, First Boston, a partnership that began uh, back in the 1970s and ultimately was consummated with an acquisition of that firm, which was involved in so many of the LBOs and other things that took place uh, in the 1980s and beyond. But uh, a storied bank uh, gone, effectively. We can write the obituary uh, this morning. Of course, all of this now raising questions, we, though, still we don't, about Andrew, what happens. We, yep. we don't have anything like those weird... So there are some equity shareholders that are getting something, but those bondholders get nothing. That's the weird. Ones. Yeah, that's what are known as, what are known as cocoa tier, bonds, an uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Invention, invention of 2008, in fact. And the truth was those bonds were built for this very instance, the idea being that again. the bondholders lose first. It's actually a unique, uh, convertible. A, a unique piece of it. We have preferreds. We have preferreds here, and some of those are convertible, but they aren't like this. They don't go to zero. No, this is this is a, a European. Uh, but they were really good investments for a while, weren't they? I guess that shows well, you that yeah. If if because uh, there, there's obviously a lot. There was some risk, <laughs> I guess. Well, I, I think if you look at some of the credit default swaps on UBS and other areas, and by the way, we should point out that this is no longer a 3.2 billion dollar deal because this is an all stock deal. You get one UBS share for every 22.48 Credit Suisse shares that you hold. If you're looking at UBS, that's down by 8%. So the value of the deal is dropping as the shares are trading this morning. I think they were down by more than 11% earlier. We'll see where this continues to go. If you look at the UBS credit default swaps, um, they've risen pretty sharply overnight. And that that tells you that the, the, the Concern isn't gone. It's just been shifted to a different balance sheet, and that's where people are kind well, first, of First now. Republic is not. You guys, I know you guys have probably looked at the pre-market there. Yeah. Closed at 23. It's like at 19 and change. So that's another, that's another pretty big haircut, well, that's too. What, that's where I was going to go with this is, you know, I think there was a, a, a view um, inside the Treasury Department in the United States and the White House and others that, uh, you know, if the situation in Europe could get resolved, is that sort of end the domino run? And I think there's still questions, as you just reflected, about First Republic, 
uh, PacWest. You can go down the list Zion, of the regionals. Look at all of them. Uh, right. un unfortunately, yep. um, it doesn't seem like this is over. The connection between these two is, is only one of panic, which is to say that Credit Suisse was a, a firm that I think for the last year, two years more, was challenged, obviously, yeah. in, this, in the past couple months. You could argue it was uh, directly challenged. But, you know, a lot of people look and say, okay, well, what does Credit Suisse have to do with the regional banks in the U.S.? And, and I would say to you, very little, except that everybody's on a knife's edge. Those comments came last week in the middle of it uh, with the chairman of uh, Credit Suisse, or rather, I should say, the, the Swiss, na uh, Swiss what, National, what's the his name? National Bank. What's his name? Lehman. Saying that they weren't going to invest in this, <laughs> invest Lehman. more, right? And the panic began. Lehman. And, and, and that's weird. If you look at the side, I mean, the write down and how quickly this this took place. The Saudis bought a 10 percent stake late last year for one and a half billion dollars, which means the bank was 15 billion at that point. The bank closed with a market cap of about eight billion dollars, or just under eight billion dollars, on Friday. This deal was done for three billion dollars and falling at this moment. So just how quickly right. all of that eclipsed, and it had to be done with this massive backstop from the Swiss government to say that they'll they'll loan these two institutions a hundred billion dollars to make sure that there's not a liquidity crunch. But Andrew, that shows you again. Um, just how quickly a crisis of confidence can, Who gets, can move through things. And that's the only thing that I think is in common between this and the U.S. situation with SVB is just a crisis in confidence. Who gets to avoid showing duration risk on their balance sheets? On what they're holding for On what they're holding. holding. It, 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 yeah, but, and now this new thing scares me even more. So now they, the Fed's going to allow them to do this bank term funding program where they borrow right. against it at par but if rates continue to go up, even those new things that they're borrowing are not going to be worth what they're supposedly worth at the rates that you, so you, it just seems like you're layering, layering another duration risk onto what you've already done. And it, I, I don't, how much of what our banks hold are, are held at par? And they they, go bank it, by bank. I mean, if you look at, even some of the big banks have some pretty substantial numbers of what they're holding to maturity. But don't, do the big well, banks but, have to show it as, uh, as for sale or can they do, Held to maturity, the, the, all of them they've can do held to maturity, maturity too. They've, just, they've been just doing it better. You look at the way Jamie Dimon's well. uh, dealt with it. But look, the <laughs> truth is, and I, I could be wrong about this. You know, I think there's going to be a little bit of uh, see no evil, hear no evil for a couple of years. And if you, it, the truth is, if you wait around long enough, and rates do come down, or at least the spread shifts, then all of a sudden those things that look like losses aren't the same kind of losses that they were. But, but if it was us, if, if it was our own portfolio and we had loaded up on a bunch of, of uh, you know, 10 years at two points or three points below where we'd know th that we made a, that was a bad move. Or if we bought a bunch of munis, we'd know that the money that if we needed it, you're only going to get it's a flawed accounting rule. That it that is allowed. It's not worth that much. And sure, you can wait 10 years. But I mean, oh, if you 10 want, years, it's the problem with not marking stuff to market. And that's what we saw. And they were chasing higher yields. And, and to not see that it could be coming was was unbelievable. The Fed announcing that it had agreed with five other central banks to make more dollars available if needed. It's going to be providing what it calls enhanced uh, swapped lines that will auction off seven-day money every day instead of just once a week like it used to be under the old setup. Central banks exchange currencies to try and make the currency more available in their banking system, whatever banks need them. Steve Leisman uh, joins us now uh, with more. Hey, Steve. Hey, good morning, Joe. Yeah, the Fed announcing uh, late yesterday it had agreed with five other central banks to make more dollars available globally, uh, saying it's going to provide enhanced swap lines. That's going to 
auction off seven-day money every day instead of just once a week under the existing setup. So what's a swap line? You can be forgiven for not knowing. It's when central banks exchange currencies to make the currency more available in their individual banking system. So, for example, the ECB would deposit euros at the Fed. The Fed would deposit dollars at the ECB, uh, making those dollars available to European banks. question is whether it's needed or just preemptive. There are no indications we can find yet of a dollar shortage or a dollar scramble around uh, almost certainly done in connection with the UBS takeover of, C, of Credit Suisse. Uh, that's why such a plan might be typically done, but it does have the potential, by the way, to suggest that some problems exist and that the situation is worse than it appears. Uh, you can see it was used a lot during the great financial crisis that the spike on the left, and then again during the pandemic, and then they're pretty quickly unwound and have not been needed recently. The question of financial stability now closely linked to what the Fed does next, the market trading with about a 60% probability of no hike and a 40% probability of a hike. So we put together a list last week of what might be, you know, on Powell's notes there, figuring out whether it's a hike. Well, of course, inflation's high. He's got his inflation-fighting credibility on the line. And then this attempt to separate monetary policy from financial stability policies. Well, why not hike? The credit contraction could be disinflationary, even deflationary. It will lower yields on bank balance sheets if you, if you don't hike and keep rates down. And the pause would give time for financial stability to take hold. My take, Powell and the Fed will make up their mind maybe the night before, depending upon how much financial stability there is and how much money is flowing out of the regional banks. Guys? Steve, you ever read The Monkey's Paw? You know what I'm talking about, that horse story? You make a wish and it jumps in your pocket and it comes true. So they wish for a couple of hundred thousand dollars and their son was like killed in a horrible accident and they got an insurance settlement. We've been hoping for a pivot. We got a pivot. Look what we had. Look what, look, look what we got. The, they're, they're not going to raise now, probably. So the long-awaited pivot, which we were all hoping for, or some of us were hoping for, the market players were hoping for, but it comes with a couple of, of you know, the second and third biggest bank failures. It reminds me of that. You Be careful what you wish for. So now they're stopping, yeah. but, but, I mean, this is not a good reason, uh, but it's almost like a, a put, but it's, it's a credit risk put. Yeah, I mean... Uh... <laughs> I love that analogy, Joe. I don't, lo- I don't know if I want to think about it that way. but um, Well, it gets worse because you get three wishes, and the last two are, e- are even worse because they, they offer to bring my son back. He got killed in a machine accident, and then they bring him back after he had, you know, yeah, he comes back all bl- I don't know. It's a horror story. Go ahead. Well, let's, let, let's hope that the outcome for the uh, financial system is better than all that, <laughs> is all I can yeah, say. It's a great but, horse but story. But I have been saying for a while, mm-hmm. Joe, that uh, from what I can tell of the Fed, financial stability comes in the first order, that they, they can't do monetary policy if the financial system's not working. So um, they want to make sure that they have conduits for the conducting, conducting of monetary policy. And if that thing is all gummed up, if you have problems at the banks, then it's not going to work. So, um, and then, of course, as we've also discussed, the idea that, that what's happening in the financial system has an economic outcome all its own. And you can imagine that all of this money that's out there, it's not going to be used for lending the way it might otherwise have been. People aren't sure about their outlooks for their banks. They're not going to be out there extending loans, even though rates are lower right now. So you can imagine banks pulling back. You can imagine uh, trouble on their balance sheet with net interest margin. And then we can have a discussion, Joe, about, you know, in this world where you can move money around willy-nilly with a punch of a button, what exactly do banks do these days? Yep. Senator Elizabeth Warren blasting Fed Chair Jay Powell 
uh, in an interview on Meet the Press. Here's what she said uh, when asked if President Biden should fire him. My views on Jay Powell are well known at this point. He has had two jobs. Uh, one is to deal with monetary policy. Yeah. One is to deal with regulation. He has failed at both. Right. Would you advise President Biden to replace him? Look, I, I, I don't think he should be chairman of the Federal Reserve. I have said it as mm -hmm. publicly as I know how to say it. I've said it to everyone. Senator Warren uh, accused Congress and the Fed of working together to weaken uh, financial regulations. There's something in, <clears throat> for everyone here, though, because there are other people that would say, and Andrew, I know we, we probably disagree on this, the Fed and Congress work together to really ignite the inflation that the Fed's trying to deal with right now. I mean, at least that's one viewpoint. Oh, I don't I, disagree with that. I think there's no question they created it. And they, she was part and parcel. A lot of the, she was the part challenge. and parcel to every one of those bills that, that, that extended, you know, that probably ignited. Fed had, you know, there was a pandemic and, and there was a lot of uh, emergency uh, relief that the Fed was kind of forced to do. But if you look at, you know, Warsh, I don't know if you saw Warsh's piece, and he's on? Kevin Warsh. Kevin, Kevin Warsh's piece right. in, the, in the journal, and this is the thing that Druckenmiller's been saying, staying at zero for way too long. Staying at zero really to, to enable fiscal uh, authorities to, to go nuts. So I, I don't know. It's weird. Jay Powell's getting it from both sides. I, I also think it's bizarre that there are so many incriminating and so much finger pointing when we still haven't really resolved any of the issues like the the ring fence hasn't worked to this point it, the same thing's happening in switzerland right now there are already people who are angry the politicians who are angry that ubs is getting what they're calling a steal of a deal i don't know if i'd call it that if you look at the concerns right. about what they took on at this point but the recriminations are coming before the dust even settles on whether any of this stuff is working. Right. And that probably makes it much more complicated. I had a question. If, if shareholders are sacrificed, basically, it's what's happening. Well, shareholders got right. something. They, they were, got they something. Only took a 59% but are we, if you protect depositors, is that moral hazard too? That, see, or is different. it just. That is if different. You, if shareholders are all gone, that, that seems like they're getting. And even some bondholders at UBS. A lot of bondholders. It's, but to if me, depositors, should depositors you not? Should depositors have to, to to know more than the Fed? Should they lose does? their money? Only, know more than the regulators know? Clearly, like that, only that, insofar as that we've set up set up rules already that are supposed to account for some form of personal risk. I'm, look, I have great sympathy for the depositors. I don't expect them to know more than the Fed or the but, bank. Uh, CEOs or whatnot. Gar but we what did would it set cost to guarantee every deposit? What would that cost for the Fed that's to guarantee a, a every deposit? Well, hopefully the answer is nothing because the FDIC is paid for by bank fees. Hopefully the promise that they're going to be a right. backstop there for everything would stop it before it goes. They don't have enough else. money. They don't have enough My money guess to is cover everything. Big banks don't want to cover for everything that would be coming with some of the smaller banks that they right. don't think they're in the same boat. Um, but the mid-sized banks, you well, saw the statement that came yesterday asking regulators to say, yes, we will guarantee all these deposits. Right. Uh, but, and, and worth noting, by the way, the insurance costs, and hopefully there wouldn't be costs, but the insurance costs by default get passed on to, yes, all of us in the well, form of... Not if it doesn't you know, go through the FDIC's reserves. And they've got, what is it, $120 billion right now? What's total well, deposits? Yes, yes, if nothing, if nothing bad happens, yes. If nothing bad happens, deposits? but that's... The, the concern is that eventually it costs, it, the reason why nobody wants to do, or people have not wanted to have a higher level of insurance. The question is, is there different ways to tranche that insurance? 
or either go up to 500,000 individuals. We've talked about, you know, could you have a payroll, you know, accounts that are, are, are identified as just payroll accounts. You just insure those. Well, and if that you put it in a money market, is it safe? I think the question is, too. There's different types is of money safe? markets. Well, that's you know, if, you know. Right. See, Bitcoin, you don't need any deposit right. insurance. Just. No, but Bitcoin uh, grows well, substantially when signature You might need a different saved. type of insurance for that. Next, on Squawk Pod, Louisiana Senator Bill Cassidy on what he sees as the failure of the banking industry in the wake of the Silicon Valley Bank collapse. It seems as if there is an expanding moral hazard because every time somebody is rescued from their investment sins, the Fed steps up. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew, Hugh. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. We got so much going on after what was a wild uh, merger weekend, if you will, with UBS and Credit Suisse uh, in an arranged marriage and more questions about the banking system. Congress continues to debate uh, over the budget and our next guest had a heated exchange last week with Treasury Secretary Yellen over Social Security during a finance committee hearing on the president's proposal. Why doesn't the president care? He cares very deeply. Then where is his plan? He stands ready to work with Congress. That's a lie, address. because when a bipartisan group of senators has repeatedly requested to meet with him about social, so that somebody who is a current beneficiary will not see her benefits cut by 24%, we have not heard anything on our request. Here to discuss that and possible bank regulation, Louisiana Senator and Finance Committee member uh, Bill Cassidy. And um, yeah, there's a couple of, uh, of, of words now that due diligence is a two word uh, term that is getting a lot of weight, but also duration risk, which we were just talking about uh, with you and, and how big the problem is. And that's what got SVB. And you wonder, is it a major overhang to, to what we're talking about and something to worry about? Is it the tip of the iceberg? It could be the tip of the iceberg. You mentioned Social Security exchange I have with Secretary yep. Yellen. They got a duration risk in Social, in Social Security. And just like, just like it's now reported, the Fed had been telling SVB years ago that they had a duration risk. Uh, for 30 years, it's been said to the Social Security folks that there's a duration risk. And I think as long as the issue is, above the, is over the horizon, oh, it's okay. It's, over, it's someone else's problem. It's not my problem. And then it hits, it hits hard, and everything crashes whether it's banks or whether it's Social Security, that has to be addressed. Let's focus on the banks today, though, just because of the situation, what Wall Street is watching. Many of these bank stocks, these regional bank stocks, are still under pressure this morning, even after everything we've seen to this point. Um, 
as someone who sits on the finance committee, as somebody who's watching this, do you think that we've contained the contagion or not? Oh, we don't know that, right? Uh, we don't know what the balance sheet is. Um, again, I'm a gastroenterologist, but I've learned about duration risk. You have a sense that a lot of bank presidents kind of were whistling past the graveyard of their duration risk. Uh, it, it's clearly caught up with SVB. Uh, presumably others are at risk. Whether or not someone's stock is really at risk, I think really depends upon how they've managed this high interest rate environment. Are we uh, engendering more moral hazard again? And, and don't, it, it comes home to roost. It seems like it's happening again, isn't it? it someone said that a, a, a capitalism without risk is like religion without sin. That if there's nothing, if there's no downside, it doesn't work. And, and we, it's, it's like the federal government is always there to backstop us until it's impossible to do, I would think. Are we doing it again? It seems as if there is encroaching moral hazard, or I should say expanding moral hazard. Because every time somebody is rescued from their kind of their sin, their, 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 their investment sins, the Fed steps up. Now, what's the alternative? That's the, that's the challenge. Uh, where are we going to let a lot of very innovative tech companies, small startups, not be able to meet payroll and dispense that, that, that whole system? Um, I think we could probably agree that would not be a good thing. Uh, as it turns out, they also bailed out a lot of folks who were personal investor, personal depositors who just had not, who had exceeded the $250,000 payroll. Um, uh, to your point, it is an expanding moral hazard. But depositors are different than shareholders or bondholders Correct. in all of these issues. Do you think depositors should be protected? And is that the something that needs to be made explicit um, so that you don't continue to see money run out of regional banks? Yes. Obviously, you see the rationale in order to preserve the strength of regional banks. Obviously. What makes it difficult is it papers over the sins of management. A management was told they had a duration risk. They didn't pay attention to it. They continued kind of, again, um, well, just whistling past the graveyard, and then it came crashing upon them. When they had to sell. Yeah. They, had to, they were forced to mark the market on, on a large portfolio, and then people saw what the real risk of $1.8 billion in losses on selling a small portion. I think Andrew wants it. Yeah, Senator, I just want to go back to the moral hazard question, which is, you know, we keep saying we want all depositors uh, to be fully insured, which, you know, I think we'd all like in many ways. But I'm also curious where you land on sort of the personal responsibility issue, which is to say that we have FDIC insurance. We've told the public for years and years and years, whether they didn't listen or not, that it's $250,000. I know some families, by the way, that to the extent they have more than $250,000 in cash, they put two fifty dollars at one bank, two fifty dollars at another bank. I mean, there are ways to do this. I'm not suggesting it's the right answer, but I'm curious how you think about that. Yeah, so if you look at an individual investor of high net worth, typically she or he has the sophistication, I'm told, a single bank can then spread $250,000 in multiple banks so that the entirety of what they do is covered. You may or may not like that, but it's legal and they could have done that. In this bank, they did not. And so are we going to rescue those people from the um, casualness by which they approach protecting their own assets? Uh, I don't think the American people particularly care for that, because that just tells you, again, there is no, there's no risk in capitalism, and they think that there should be. Uh, you don't want anyone to lose money, uh, but there should be a due diligence. If you don't have that due diligence, we all know that that papers over the mismanagement of, of the leadership of a bank. Uh, and at some point, we've got to start getting out of this situation. Yeah, but the, the issue is, all I was going to say is, Senator, the customers, unfortunately, 
clearly are not acting as governors, if you will, or influencers over management. Clearly, we've seen that e even the small, so supposedly the smartest people in the room who were invested uh, in banking at uh, Silicon Valley Bank, you know, who have CFOs, frankly, didn't seem to see it or, or put blinders on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that is what's making this so difficult. Uh, but at the same time, can you allow a bank to mismanage its own assets so terribly and there be no consequence? Now, you could say he's lost his money, the investors lost their dollars. Yes, that's true. I can tell you the American people think that something's going on that would not have, be, that would not have been available to them at their regional bank. Unless you have the confidence of the American people, you're not going to have a solution which is long term. If your CFO at SVB was 30 years old, Senator, he's never seen rising, or she has never seen rising interest rates. Fed went up 450 basis points fast after staying at zero for a long, long time. We had the pandemic. We had 2008. We had things that, that they're extenuating circumstances. But there's a lot of uh, finger pointing going on right now. Kevin Warsh, uh, op-ed piece he's going to be on tomorrow, that we need regime change. And I don't, at, at the Fed, I don't think he's necessarily talking about Jay Powell. He's talking about the Fed itself, the way that the Fed manages it, its affairs. What would you, what would you do? Do you, do, you, do you, is this the arsonist trying to put out the fire? Well, there's, I'm a doctor. There's a saying in medicine, don't just do something, think. Now, what are you arguing about? I'm not saying there shouldn't be regime change, but at first you want to define what your objectives are. If your objective is to, oh, we don't like the way Jay Powell has been handling this in particular, what in particular? The fact that interest rates were kept near zero for so long has created a different sort of economic environment than when interest rates were typically three. That's why those banks were in those long bonds. They thought they could do that. They get a higher yield. They can put it on their balance sheet. It's a treasury. There's no risk. Now, That's by why the they way, you it. can't excuse it because they'd never seen. They're, they're too young to have understood this. Uh, the first article about duration risk was written by a friend of mine 50 years ago. So theoretically, people learned about this, and they could have accommodated that understanding. The Fed was warning them. Jay Powell said, this is what we're going to do, sending that clear message. So uh, I don't think you can excuse management. In fact, I think that's what people are upset about. You are excuse The Fed's actions are currently excusing management. So if you want Jay Powell going back to what you want him to do, you want him to let banks fail and all the depositors lose their money, then be explicit about that. But don't just say get rid of Jay Powell without saying, okay, uh, what do we want the next person to do? Senator Warren uh, is criticizing the Fed that they were complicit uh, in terms of regulation. And she's been a critic of Jay Powell for a long time, didn't think he should have been uh, reappointed because of, of lax regulation. Do you think the Fed was complicit on, in the other way, that staying at zero allowed Congress to to spend how much did we spend in the last and, and go back to the Trump administration if you want with the uh, with the, the tax cuts whatever you want because we got to you know we got to mention both parties are, are guilty uh, of this but we spent a lot of money in the last two years in addition to the last six years right? yeah. and the Fed was at zero that that didn't that enable all that spending of course you want to have a circum you want to have a context around each uh, uh, in fairness to the Trump administration, that's when COVID hit, and you're trying to keep businesses afloat. You may argue about it, but that was the intent, uh, as opposed to President Biden's $1.9 trillion bill when clearly the worst was passed. Uh, and by the way, his pause on student loan payback continues to inject $5 billion a month into the economy, which is obviously adding to inflationary pressure. 
Now, now if the Fed is given um, uh, an expanded money supply, they're trying to back onto it, back off of it, and one of their few, they got two or three tools, they're trying to employ them, and things turn upside down. That's kind of what's going to happen when you start yeah. trying to subtract. They're playing us out. I had a, one more really important question about how GERD can cause wheezing. Do you know GERD can cause Absolutely. wheezing? Absolutely. Can I talk to you? You're a gastroenterologist? It's very Stay easy. where you are right now. We're going to go to break. <laughs> but break, but, but I, I thought, I'm breathing fine. Why am I wheezing? It's GERD. It's GERD. I need Prilosec. You need a good-ass gastroenterologist. I do? Yes. But you don't do that anymore. I don't, but I can find you one. Okay. Thank you. Andrew, you got any health problems? He's a gastroenterologist. Acid I'm reflux. trying to avoid him. <laughs> trying to avoid him. Thank you, though. Thank you, Senator. Thanks, Joe. Cheese will be next. Coming up next on Squawk Pod, we're heading to the streets of New York City, that is. Mayor Eric Adams on the motivation behind the new We Love NYC campaign. These are difficult times, but we're confident that we're going to navigate our way through. The Big Apple mayor joined by the head of the Partnership for New York, Catherine Wilde. After the last financial crisis, we really put the tools in place that are going to allow us to get through this without the kind of repercussions we had before. The sweet sounds of Manhattan. Right after this. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from the streets of New York City. Okay. Stand by. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. New York City Mayor Eric Adams in the partnership for New York City launching a campaign today called We Love New York City. Joining us from Midtown Manhattan to discuss the city's post-pandemic economy. New York City Mayor Eric Adams is here in partnership for New York City President and CEO Catherine Weil. Good morning to you both. Uh, let's talk about this campaign, the state of uh, New York City, and I want to get into some of the banking issues uh, that have been confronting some of the city's banks as well. Uh, Mr. Mayor, wh where did this campaign come from? Well, the, the partnership uh, with the partnership, Kathy Weil, who's joining me today, and all of our corporations and businesses, we realize that uh, we are here together and we love this city and we know what the city represents, not only uh, here locally, but across the entire nation. New York is the economic engine of our nation. And we want to ask people, let's all come together, no matter if it's volunteering to clean up parks, volunteering um, at a homeless shelter. Uh, it's about all contributing together because this is, this is the city we love. Mr. Mayor, I want to get to Catherine in just a moment, but just speak to this. I gather you've been on the phone with a number of uh, the leading uh, bank CEOs uh, here in the city. We just saw the, uh, the end, if you will, of Signature Bank. What are you hearing and what are you thinking about? Well, uh, uh, the governor and I met with uh, Kathy and the partnership uh, to really stabilize the fears that many people have. I want to really thank the federal government for stepping in uh, last week. Of, you know, these are difficult times, but uh, we're confident that we're going to navigate our way through right here in the city. 
Uh, we're seeing an amazing recovery. 99% of the jobs we lost in pre-pandemic, 16,000 jobs in January alone. Uh, we're just seeing a real recovery around tourism and all the other aspects of how to have a strong economy. So we believe uh, the federal government, the state government here locally, uh, we're going to stabilize this situa situation. Catherine, I want to talk about New York, but maybe you can speak specifically to so many companies that are part of the partnership and how they're thinking about the economy, not just in the city, but across the country. Some having PTSD, as you know, from 2008. I hope we're not in that kind of a banking crisis, but clearly we're in something. No, I, there is a lot of concern, but also faith that we put the tools in place after the last financial crisis. We really put the tools in place that are going to allow us to get through this without the kind of repercussions we had before. The financial system is not threatened today. As we saw last night, UBS has uh, taken over uh, the Swiss bank that was in danger of causing a systemic calamity. The fact that we can get through all this smoothly, the federal government is making sure nobody loses their deposits. So we're confident going forward. Unfortunately, the bank failure the depression coming out of the pandemic, the anxiety people have felt, the divisiveness in our country. That's the reason for our campaign today, to say we've got things to celebrate. This is a great city. We're in a great country. We hope that our campaign can lead the nation, as the mayor said, in bringing back positive, positive feelings, optimism about our future. And you're wearing the T-shirt right there. Show off the T-shirt if, if you can, <laughs> Catherine. Uh, we love New York. Based on the iconic campaign that began I Love New York, which, you know, was, you know, back in the 1970s. Yeah, Absolutely. So, so true. And that campaign really inspired us during the time of the 70s. I remember back then, and we just all started looking at that big heart and saying, I love New York. And instead of just the singular love in New York, all together is what's going to make this city the great city that it is. And I see it every day when I'm on the subway system. You know, you saw a few days ago we had 3.9 million riders in one day. Uh, that is back to the pre-pandemic levels, decreasing crime in our subway. We're moving in the right direction, and we're excited about this city, and we love it. And it's a time for we, not me. So <laughs> we've, we've talked a lot about safety in this city. And by the way, Catherine's been on our broadcast talking about some of the safety issues that the CEOs that are part of the partnership have raised with her. Where do you think we really are when it comes to safety and security in the city? Well, it's clear. When you go back to January 2022 and February, almost 40 percent up in crime. Uh, we met with the partnership. They did a survey and they pinpointed those important areas. We needed a safe subway system because people were afraid to ride the subways and come back to work. We zeroed in on it. We did the subway safety plan in February, rolled out the next version. Uh, in October, you saw the results. The customer satisfactory survey is through the roof. People are excited about being back on the subway system. The numbers uh, don't lie. We knew we had to deal with the homelessness, the encampments, and create a safe environment. Decrease in the major crimes. And as I stated, decreasing our shootings, our homicides, we're trending in the, right, in the right direction. And the city's coming back with the tourism. Hotels, 98% of pre-pandemic levels. When you look at the numbers, the numbers are going in the right direction. Now we're dealing with how people are feeling and bringing that positive attitude back to this amazing city. We're resilient. This is New York. All right. Catherine, I, I know the mayor's sitting right next to you, but are you satisfied? Absolutely. We are headed in the right direction. 
but we've got to show New Yorkers that they can step up and do something because people are frustrated. Our surveys, as the mayor mentioned, our surveys show that the negativity is because people don't know how they can help. And what we're gonna try and show them through this campaign is that there are a million ways that New Yorkers can step up and take back our city, make sure that we're going in uh, the right direction and trust each other again. What is your sense of this, the strength of the city right now in terms of the economy? We talk about hybrid jobs and what that impact has been. You look at a Monday and a Friday throughout the city, it's still complicated, obviously. Uh, by the way, this banking crisis uh, not helping things. Signature, of course, uh, you know, uh, a, a major presence throughout the city. By the way, First Republic uh, a presence throughout the city as well. And then when you start to think about Credit Suisse um, mm. and the thousands of employees that they have and what may happen to them, what's your thought? New York City's economy is bigger today than it was in 2019. We have hardly missed a beat when it comes to our economy. And in terms of small business, we have created in the last year, there are 32,000 new businesses created in New York City in the last year. So we are absolutely headed in the right direction. As the mayor noted, we are safer than we have been, that crime is down, arrests are up. So positive, we're going in a positive direction in New York City. Our economy is good, and we hope we're going to lead the nation in that direction as well. And it's so important when you think about it, uh, the 957,000 jobs we lost uh, during the pandemic, 99% uh, of those jobs are back. Our small businesses are thriving. I was over at J.P. Morgan uh, the other day. I saw the new building that they're building uh, to have a major presence here. The companies are here, not in the tourism. Tourists are coming back. 56 million last year, 65 million this year. This is an exciting moment for our city. Uh, you know, when you're in these dark moments, you think that that's a burial. No, it's supplanted. New York is going, going to come back and continue to come back bigger and better than ever. Uh, Mr. Mayor, just a quick question. We, we just had Scott Reckler on. He was saying that there's a crisis right now when it comes to commercial real estate. Uh, it's a bigger crisis than even workers not coming back to their offices, um, that they need help because of what's happening in the banking system right now and that there are going to be major problems if there's not some sort of help from the federal government so that they can renegotiate all the loans that are coming due in the next three years. After decades of free money, the day of reckoning is coming, as we're seeing with the financial meltdown across the board. There's $1.5 trillion of commercial real estate loans that are coming due in the next three years. Have you been involved with any of these talks? Do you have anything to say about it? Yes, uh, Scott is really a great New Yorker. Uh, RXR is a company that is extremely significant, just, just like uh, SL Green and others. And we have been communicating with all of these retail spaces. And we may have to figure out how to redefine these spaces, just as we're looking at office spaces, to convert them into housing. Uh, there's some important legislation up in Albany right now, and we want to partner with our Albany lawmakers to see how do we put in place things like 421A, find out how we use uh, retail spaces for child care spaces and other uses. So this is a time that we must all come together and redefine ourselves as a city and how we're living in this uh, uh, post-pandemic era. Mr. Mayor, I want to thank you. Catherine, I want to thank you. I, you know, we can't do anything but root for New York City. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you.
That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening and for starting another wild week with us here. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Great to have all three back together again today. You can tune into the show weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest and best moments from our TV show right in your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.